it's a book that the theme of it is the joy of the Lord. And um, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison and um, in the midst of his circumstances, the attitude and the outlook that he has is just amazing. And if we could capture that as believers today and have the same outlook and attitude that Paul had here and get that in our lives in the day and hour which we're living in, uh, I'll tell you what, we would be on our road to victory, on the way to victory. Paul was an overcomer and his, uh, he had an outlook that that was an outlook of victory, an outlook of, of, of praise, no matter what he was facing and no matter what he was going through. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Is that the outlook of an overcomer, would you think? Is that a man that's got victory in his life? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Notice that. He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is not just better, but it's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh or in this body here on the earth is more needful for you. And being confident, confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy and faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you tonight for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and I just ask you tonight for your help, your anointing, your utterance that I would say that which you would have me to say and open our hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Uh, Paul in verse 19, and we talked a little bit about this last week, where he said that I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. It was something about the apostle Paul that he just, believed that everything in his life, he not, not only believed it, but he knew that everything in his life, no matter what happened, no matter what he went through, that it was just all going to turn out all right. Because he was a child of God, he belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he just had that expectation. And we'll see that here in a minute. But he had that expectation. And he, he expected his case, his situation, his life, and whatever the circumstances he may be in, he expected it to turn out for good and to be victorious in whatever he was facing, whatever he was going through. Now, that's an outlook that I think we all need to have. He said in verse 12, which we talked about last, we talked about this last Wednesday night, but he said in verse number 12, he said that he made quite a statement there. He said that everything that had happened to him had turned out for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So everything that he had, every obstacle that had that had been placed in his way and everything that he had had happen to him, everything that the devil tried to do, everything that evil men tried to do to stop him, every hindrance that the enemy had put in his way, anything that came his way to try to defeat him or discourage him, he, he said that God turned it out for the furtherance of the gospel and for the good in his life. I mean, Paul is the one that wrote the book of Romans, and he's the one that wrote Romans 8, 28. And uh, for we know that all things work together for the good to them who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So he says he's got this attitude, and this is where his faith is, that God's going to cause everything to turn out. And what he'd been through his being put in prison, everything that he'd faced, that it was going to turn out for his deliverance. That's the kind of attitude we need to have. But how was this going to be possible? Notice what he says in, in verse number 19 there, that second part of that verse. He, he says, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Notice this, through your prayer, talking to these believers here at Philippi, he said, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's saying this, that it was because this church, these believers were praying for him. Now, we always talk about the power and the effectiveness of prayer, but Paul's bringing that out again here. He said, I know everything's going to turn out for my deliverance because you guys are praying for me. And he said, because of your prayers, the prayers of the church, that God was going to give him and had given him a supply of the Holy Spirit. Now notice, these two go together, that God provides a supply, a full supply of the Spirit, uh, and what, you know, in this, whatever situation that you're in, there's a supply of the Holy Spirit to bring you through that situation. You can't make it through in your own strength or, or your own power or ability. I think we realize that sometimes maybe we get the idea, well, I've got this, I can make it, I've got this all under control. But let me tell you something, we can't, we can't come through or overcome or be victorious in any other way than through the power 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying here. I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance because you've been praying for me. And I can, you know, basically he was saying, I can feel the effects of your prayers because you've been holding me up in prayer. And as your prayers have gone up, God has given me a full supply of the Spirit of Christ, of the Holy Spirit in my life to give me, to push me on ahead and to give me total victory in the midst of this situation. Amen. Now, that, that, that word supply, where he says that I'll make it because I have a supply of the Spirit of Christ, that word supply... It's kind of an interesting word because it, in the Greek it originally means to bear, now notice this, to bear the expense of a chorus. Now what in the world does that have to do with the Holy Spirit or a supply of the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Greek, in the Greek, in the ancient times, and in, in, in uh, whenever a Greek city was going to put on a special festival, they would uh, they would go all out. You know, it would be a, a very big ordeal. But whenever they did that, somebody had to pay the expense for that festival. Somebody had to pay for the singers that they would have, the dancers, the music, everything that uh, that they were going to do in this festival had to be paid for and the donation had to be a, a, a large donation and it had to be a lavish donation so that word came to mean to provide generously and lavishly to provide for the chorus is what the word supply meant but it meant a full abundant lavish supply. So when Paul uses this word for a supply of the Spirit of Christ in his life, he's saying here that I have more of the Holy Spirit. Amen. More of the Holy Spirit than I need. God hasn't been stingy with giving me the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit in my life to help me. But through your prayers, I have an overflow abounding, abundant, more than enough supply of the Holy Spirit of the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, in my life to get me through this situation. Praise God. Do you understand, know tonight, that the God that we serve is not a tightwad, and He's not stingy, and He's not holding back, and He's not just giving you just enough grace to get by, are just barely enough of the Spirit of God to get by. And sometimes we as Christians, we act like that's kind of the way it is. Well, I, you know, I, I, if I can just make it by the skin of my teeth, if I can just barely, I've heard people say that, if I can just barely get in the gate of heaven, I'll be happy. You know, that's God, God doesn't just barely get you through. He gives you an abundant supply. There is an abundant, overflowing supply of His grace, of the Spirit of Christ to empower
for you, to bring you through no matter what you're facing in life. Amen. You can't make it by yourself, but thank God you're not, you're not expected to make it by yourself. You have the Spirit of the Lord living on the inside of you, and through prayer, God will give you a full supply of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ to empower you to see you through. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for that. That was how Paul was going to make it. He depended upon those generous resources of God to get him through this situation. And so in verse 20, after he tells them, I know that, that this is going to turn out. This is going to turn out for my deliverance because you're praying for me. The Lord has given me a full supply of the, of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. Now, notice this. Because of their prayers and the supply of the Spirit, Paul has an earnest expectation and a hope that everything's going to work out all right. Come on, amen. What, what is this? This is, listen, this is vital, ladies and gentlemen, to, uh, to our spiritual victory in the Lord Jesus Christ is to have a hope and an expectation and an anticipation of something good taking place in our life. Seem like folks today, you know, they're, they, they've got their minds on, their, their thoughts are turned on, oh, well, what if this bad thing happens? What if the, the you know, what if our, the presidency goes this way? Or we're looking at the negative side of everything and worried about what if it hap- what if this takes place? And what if that takes place? And what's going to happen to our nation? And I'm going to tell you, that's in the hands of God and we're praying and we're believing God. But I'm going to tell you, as far as you and I as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, we have got to have an earnest expectation and hope and an anticipation, praise God, that no matter what happens, we still belong to God and He's going to work and move in our life and bring us through. Amen. Praise God. I believe that. I believe that. This, this word, an earnest expectation, it means a watching, a watching and a looking with a stretched out head. It's uh, paying close attention, being concentrated on one object and being turned away from everything else. When I read that, I thought, man, now see, that's where, that's where we're all missing it. We got our eyes on the problems and on the troubles and on the situations and everything that's going on. But this word that Paul used to hear, an earnest expectation, is an eager, intense look that, that turns away from everything else to fix on the one object of desire and to watch earnestly with the head outstretched. In other words, what he's saying here is that it's turning away from adversity, turning your focus away from the trouble and the adversity and putting your eyes and your hope and your focus on the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ and on the Word of God. Come on, amen. 
That's what Paul was doing. He said, I've got an earnest, I have an earnest expectation. I have a hope. And that word hope means, it, it, it means to anticipate usually with pleasure and have an expectation of good. Something good. See, that's the kind of attitude that we have to have in our life today is that some, no matter what's going on around about me, God's going to make something good, bring something good in my life. If I'm living for Him and I belong to Him, praise God, something good's going to take place. How many of y'all know we're, lit, we're serving a good God? We sing that song. He's a, he's a, he's a good, good Father. Amen? Uh, he's not some tyrant, just, you know, just getting ready to looking at something for you to do something wrong so he can smack you upside the head. He's a loving, kind, heavenly father who wants to do you good. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift, where does it come from? It comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, he doesn't change. He's a good God, and he's good to his people, and he's good to you. He's good to his church. Amen? And as long as we're living for him and we're in the family of God, I believe that we can have an earnest expectation and a hope that God has got something good planned for us our life. Come on. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us, and see, and that's the problem is that we get our focus on the wrong thing. We get to looking and focusing on the problems in our life more than we do on the promises of God. Can I tell you that there is no panic in heaven? Only plans. God has got a plan. How many of you know that tonight? There's no panic in heaven. God's not pacing the, the floor of his throne room tonight, wringing his hands and saying, I don't know, we're looking over, you know, I don't know what we're going to do about this situation. Or what's going, you know, it's really getting bad down there on the earth. We, what are we going to do? God's not doing that. He already knows ahead of time. He's already got a plan. He's going to work everything out according to his purpose. Come on, Amen. But we get focused so many times on the, the bad stuff that's happening and on the problems that we're facing. And uh, we, we're, we're looking at the problems, and then we try to look to the Lord a little bit, then we're looking at the problem again, then we try to look to the Lord. And that's, you know, that can be getting into a place of double-minded. The Bible said that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. But what Paul is saying here is he's talking about turning away from everything else, turning our focus away from the, from the trouble that we're in. And, and it's not to, you know, we, we never teach that, we, that you are to deny your problems or your circumstances, but we can't focus on them. We got to focus on Jesus and on his word. And that's what Paul is saying here to look to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, and the scripture says this Paul writing this letter as well. And he says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How many knows there's some things that are not seen? There's a spirit world and a spirit realm. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the Scripture's telling us here to get our focus on, not, not to focus on the things that we can see with our natural eyes, but He's telling us to get some spiritual vision. Amen? To see with the eye of faith. How many knows that faith is the, the evidence, the substance of things hoped for? And uh, Hebrews 11 and 1 gives the uh, definition of what Bible faith is. And Paul says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the what? The evidence, the, 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 uh, the conviction, the evidence, the proof of things that are not seen. So if you can see it, it's not really faith. I mean, if you see something, you know that's, that it's a fact, but you got to believe. There's some things you got to believe that you can't see. When you can't see things working out, when you can't see the answer to the prayer, when you can't see the, anything good coming out of a situation, you've got to not look at the things that are seen, but with the eye of faith, look at those things which are not seen, Hallelujah, and that faith will see you through. Amen? How do you do that? I mean, you know, somebody said, well, how do you do that? I can't, I, I can't, I can't see things that are invisible. Well, Moses did. Huh? Y'all looking at me funny again. You make me work hard these last few days. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter, isn't it? It's the hall of fame of, of faith heroes. It tells in, in Hebrews 11, I, we probably already do a series on Hebrews 11, just preach on all those faith heroes. Maybe that'd get everybody stirred up. <laughs> but uh, it's, the, it's God's hall of fame, and it, and it tells about all of those faith heroes, how they conquered, how they overcame, how they were victorious. And they didn't have, they didn't float through life on flowery beds of ease, but they overcame through faith. They conquered through faith. They, they went through lion's dens and fiery furnaces and, and trials and, and scourgings and mockings. The Bible talks about there in, in Hebrews 11. By their faith, their faith. See, faith doesn't, faith doesn't always stop the problem or take the problem away, but faith will give you the grace and the power to make it through and overcome that problem and come through it victorious on the other side. But that Hebrews chapter 11 is that great, um, that great um, chapter on faith. But in the 24th verse, verses 24 through 27, he talks about the faith of Moses. And then Moses leaving, leading the children, leaving Egypt and leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And in Hebrews eleven twenty four, he says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's a good choice to make. Amen. Notice verse 26, he esteemed the reproach of Christ 
greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked for the reward. What's he doing? He's going through affliction, but he's esteeming reproach for Christ greater than the treasures, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. But notice what he's looking at. For he looked to the reward. He knows that it's going to get better, that there's something better in the future. Come on, amen. And verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How do you see him who is invisible? You see him with the eye of faith. You can't see him with, with this na- your, your, your natural sight or vision, but you have to see him by faith. By faith, you have to know that he's with you. By faith, you have to believe that he's guiding you. By faith, you have to believe that everything's going to work out all right, that you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have, you have given yourself to him, and you are confident, you have confidence in him that he is going to bring you through, and you keep your eyes upon the promise of God. How do you look? How do you see Jesus? How do you look to Jesus? By looking to his word. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Folks, we've got to keep our focus on the word of God. This doesn't change. Our circumstances will change. The the, the condition of the nation may change and probably will. The world is going to change. Everything on this earth that is seen, Paul said, is temporary or temporal. But those things which are not seen are eternal. Get your faith and your eye and your mind on the promise of God and look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus is going to see you through. Can I get an amen? That is the outlook of an overcomer tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. You remember when, you remember when, uh, when the king of Syria sent uh, his armies by night to capture Elisha, because Elisha had God had been telling Elisha the battle plans of uh, and where the armies of the Syrians were going to be, and so uh, he sent the he sent this army by night, surrounded the city of Dothan. And the next morning, when Elisha and his servant got up, the servant of Elisha goes out and looks. He looks out the window and he sees the the city surrounded by horses and by by an army of Syrian soldiers that are there, a whole army just to take two guys. And he says, what are we going to do? He, he began to be afraid. And Elisha said to his servant, he said, fear not. Hallelujah. I mean, that, listen, they're surrounded. They're in a mess. They're in a pickle. They're in trouble. Come on, somebody. They're, 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 you know, they're surrounded by the enemy. They've come to take him back to Syria, probably into exile. 
execute him. Amen? But, but Elisha is not worried. He's not fearful. It, it looks like that it's the end, but he says to his servant, don't be afraid. Fear not. And here's what he said. I love this. He said, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Amen? Well, hallelujah. I mean, this didn't make sense in the natural because it's obvious there's two of them and a whole host, an army that's against them. But Elisha says, by faith, don't fear, for they that are with us are more than they that are with them. Can I tell you something, saints of God, tonight? There are more on our side than there are against us. Come on, somebody. We seem, you know, we are, we seem to be in the minority. But when you think about it, when, the, when, when Satan deceived the angels... Amen? There was one-third of the angels that fell with Satan. That left two-thirds on our side. I said there's more that be with us than there are that be with them. But here was the thing. The, the, the servant of Elisha didn't understand that. How could there be more with us than there are with them? I mean, he's looking at it from the natural standpoint. He's looking at it from the physical standpoint. He's looking at what can be seen and what is seen. But then Elisha prays a prayer and he said, Lord, open his eyes. Now his eyes are open, his physical eyes, but he's praying a prayer and asking the Lord to open his spiritual eyes, to be able to see in the spirit realm, to see that which is invisible, to see that which is not seen. Come on, amen. To get his eyes, listen, that's what Paul's saying here in Philippians, to get his eyes off of the circumstance and the situation and get his focus on the victory. Hallelujah. And when the Holy Ghost moved and the Lord opened the eyes of that servant, he saw the army, but, that, but behind that army of the enemy, there was a host of chariots and horses of fire. The angels of God had them surrounded. I'm telling you, there's more that are with us than there are that are against us. Hallelujah. We're on the winning side. We got to focus and get our expectation right. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. So that's what Paul is saying here. That my earnest expectation and hope is that everything's going to work out okay. Amen. Look at verse number 20. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's saying it doesn't matter whichever way it goes. If I'm executed or if I'm released from prison, it doesn't matter. He's saying, I'm going to still magnify Christ to the very end. He said, in nothing will I be ashamed. But he said, as always, so now, I will be, Christ will be magnified in my body or in my life. That word magnified means to be exalted, to glorify, to make great, to make greater, to enlarge. Well, 
Christ is great, isn't he? He's already great. He's already, you can't, you, to magnify means to make something larger. Well, you know, you, you can't make Jesus any bigger than what he is. He's great and greatly to be praised. But we're to magnify him. Here's the thing that, that Paul is talking about, that, it, that our lives need to, need to continually praise and magnify the Lord by the way we live, by the way we walk, by what we do, amen, that our lives need to continually magnify the Lord. You know, you, you, how do you, what do you use to magnify? You, you can use a pair of binoculars, or you can use a microscope. You put little things under a microscope, Amen? To make the little things bigger. That's the kind of magnifying most of us do. We put the little problems of life under the microscope and look at them under the microscope and, boy, that sure is bad. That thing's big. It's huge. Amen? (laughs) We're We're magnifying the wrong thing. But then you can take a telescope and look into the, and look into space, and a telescope will take will take one of those stars out there, or the moon, or one of the stars which is much larger than the telescope, but looks small, and the telescope will make that star, um, or planet or whatever you're looking at, it'll bring it closer to you that you can see it better. I don't know if that's making any sense or not. Do you know what I'm saying? And what we do so many times, we want to put our problems under the microscope and magnify the problem and make it and look at it under the microscope and examine it and see how big the microscope makes the problem look. But Jesus then seems so far away. But if we will get the telescope of faith and look to Jesus and that let that telescope draw him closer and be let him be larger in our life amen you know the more you magnify Jesus and the more you praise him and the more you thank him amen in the midst that's why listen that's why the Bible says that we're to praise and thank him in everything and in all things because the more you praise him the more you thank him the more you magnify him the closer he gets to you the bigger he gets because he will inhabit God inhabits the praises of his people amen so he says I'm going to magnify the Lord in every situation in my life whether I'm whether I'm getting out of prison Paul says whether I'm going to be executed it makes no difference I want to magnify the Lord in my life hallelujah that's the way we have to live our life amen let me bring this to a close tonight this lesson I hope you're getting something out of it he says this verse 21 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is Paul's philosophy of life in a nutshell. He said, For me to live 
is to live for Jesus. And then to die is gain. This kind of answers the question that people have. What's the purpose? What's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Well, Paul kind of answers that right there because you're here to live for Christ. For your life to be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of your life is to glorify Christ, to live for Christ. Not to live for money or for fame or for pleasure, but to live for Christ. And that's what Paul was saying. He wanted his life to be like the life of Christ and for Jesus to live out his life through the Apostle Paul. And that's the problem in so many people's lives today is this is not how they live their life. It's not being lived completely and totally for Christ. Paul was saying Christ is first, my priority, my everything, my all in all. He's he's everything to me. Every part of my life is Jesus Christ. And I'm living for Him every day of my life. And as long as I live and as long as I have breath in my lungs and as long as I'm on this earth, my life will be lived for Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying here. How many of us can say that? I mean, he's not talking about just, you know, living for Jesus on just on Sunday morning. We got, got a lot, listen, we got a lot of Sunday morning people. Sunday morning saints. Our life has got to be lived for Jesus 24-7. Everything has got to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ. We sing a little old chorus years and years ago back at the church in Cape. Um, we had a singing group in our church that sang this as well. It, it was a little song that said, Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. And that's, man, I'm telling you, that's what Paul was saying here. I'm, t- I'm wrapped up in Jesus and my life is, is in Jesus. For me to live is to live for Jesus Christ. You know, I think every one of us needs to kind of fill in the blank here and ask ourselves or make that statement, for me to live is blank. Can, can you say, can we all say, for me to live, that's my whole desire is to live for Christ. Some people would fill that out, would fill that blank in with, for me to live is, is for money. For me to live is for fame. For me to live is for pleasure. For me to live is just for, for power or recognition. And you know what? If you fill in, if, if you fill in that blank with anything but Christ, you can't, you can't say the last part of that verse. When Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and if I've lived for Christ, and if I've served Christ, then when it comes time for me to die, to die is gain. But I'm going to tell you if, you, if you fill in that blank and say, for me to live is pleasure, for me to live is money, for me to live is self, then you will say, for me to die is the end of it all. It's nothing. It's wasted. Amen? Because the only thing on this earth that we do on this earth that's going to amount to anything at all, folks, when we come to die is what we've done for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's not going to make any difference. It's not going to matter how much, how successful we were in life, and God's not opposed to us being successful. It's not going to matter how much money we've made, and God's not opposed to that as long as we use it right and use it for Him and for the glory of God. But it's not, that those things are not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is what we've done for Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. For me to live is to live for Christ. And then when I come to die, it's gain. That's why he was saying here. Brother Bob, he was saying, if, they, if, if I'm executed and never get out of here, that's okay. I've done it all for Jesus. I'm given my all for Jesus. So for, for them to take me down and cut my head off and execute me, that would be gain. That would be the best thing that could happen for me. Boy, see, most of us don't look at life like that, do we? Huh? We don't look at life. I'm talking about the outlook of an overcomer. When, when we get to that place that we know that we've given our everything for Jesus and that we're, we're, we're living our life for Him, when it comes to that time to die and we're all going to come to that time, Unless the rapture takes place first. But if the Lord tarries his coming, we're all getting closer to that day when we're going to die. I want to be able to say it's gain. Hallelujah. He said, I have a depart. We'll, we'll get into this next week. He said, I have a desire to depart and to go to be with Christ, which he said, which is far better. But he said, for me to remain here with you is better for you. He was in a, he was in a quandary. He was in a, he was in a straight between two. He didn't know what, 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 you know, what was the best. He, but the point was, he wasn't afraid to die if it was his time to go. He was ready. And he said, for me to depart this life and to go and be with Jesus Christ is far better. He didn't say that it was just better. He said it was far better. Amen. And most of the time, we're not looking at that. that we're not looking at our life and death that way. Death is a part of life. How many of you all know that? The moment a baby's born, they begin to die. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they asked me about that. They said, I feel like that, that when, a, when a baby's born, they immediately begin to die. Do you agree with that? And I said, yeah, I do agree with that. They immediately, the death process begins. The aging process, the death process begins in that child because the Bible said the outward man is perishing. Isn't that what Paul said? But the inward man is renewed day by day. So we know. We're going to come to that place one of these days. So the, the thing is, whatever we've done for Jesus is what's going to last. And that's what's going to matter. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand tonight. Worship team, you can come back. We'll sing a song. and Praise the Lord a little bit tonight. Amen? Hallelujah. We'll pick up here next, Tuesday, next Wednesday night finish this up thank you Jesus Lord we love you tonight we thank you for your blessings in our life blessed be the